Bible passage is from 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's nice to be with everybody. Um, this is the second part of a two-message series on this section of Second Peter. Uh, from the same passage last week, we talked about how uh, God has given us everything, right, everything that we to live a godly life, yet God also wants us to make every effort, everything and yet every effort, to live out that privilege in our lives, to realize the potential uh, that he granted us. Uh, we even construed uh, the participating in the divine nature, you know, that kind of lofty language there. Uh, we talked about that, or I did, as more relational than, say, ontological. Um, uh, the reason God wants us to be uh, involved with, and then involves us as well, um, in our spiritual development is so that through relationship, through knowing Him, through loving Him, uh, we can draw ever closer uh, to God. So that was last week. Uh, we'll overlap a little with last week's theme here and there in today's sermon. But I wanted to uh, think through particularly verses uh, 5 through 7, the long list of virtues, you know, whether it's 7 or 8, uh, that Peter says that we should be increasing in measure as we grow older and fuller uh, in the Christian experience. Uh, let's uh, look at my title, uh, Moral Horizon. Uh, attempts to have us think about our moral development uh, stretching out before us, almost like, um, like stretching out the direction we want our lives to advance toward. Like if you're on a shore and you're watching a ship like head towards your, your vision, your uh, visible horizon. Um, that idea as it moves off into the distance. So we want to see our lives, envision our lives as steadily increasing right, in the godly virtues more and more. I was actually trying to be a little more snazzy with the title and try to fit it with the scientific term uh, event horizon, which for those of you who care to know, is an object's escape velocity from a black hole's gravitational pull. So I was gonna mention Einstein, special relativity, and, um, the impossibility of witnessing any event inside the border and, and all that. But alas, um, I decided I should quit while I was semi ahead. So, just moral horizon, right? Where our morality 
where our character, where our, where our actions should take us. Why did Peter include these specific qualities uh, in his moral horizon? And why did he give them this particular order? Why did he say to faith that goodness, to goodness, etc., like that? Uh, did he want us to think in terms of a linear progression, right? like one after another? Or is it more like some sort of beautiful and healthy salad where you can add like this, these ingredients one by one and together, whatever, synergistically, they kind of really uh, shape and help our, uh, our, our character uh, be more godly. Do the precedent virtues produce or generate the subsequent ones? Yeah, many other questions. So try to address some of these. Um, I thought I'd try to make three points about this uh, virtue list as this type of uh, litany is often re referred to. Uh, so I, I believe that uh, I can say, I want to say three things about them. First, that they're, uh, these, these qualities, they're relationally acquired. How do, we, how do we pick these up? How do we, where does it come from? Right? Do we just kind of, you know, find, we read something about it, or we read a good book, or we watch a TED talk, and boom, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I know how to persevere. And I want to say that they're relationally acquired in our walk with God. Okay. And the second, uh, I gotta pronounce this right, sanctifiably oriented, so, you know, we're term sanctify or sanctification. You know, being cleansed or being purified, made holier. I, I looked up the adverb form, and it is sanctifiably, so stop looking. On, not that any one of you would look on Google. I would look on Google if a speaker like, suggested this word. Anyway, I want to talk about how these make us holier. They can really help us draw closer to God. And then last, they're experientially connected. That's very vague. But I'm going to try to talk about how these virtues um, tie together, or, or how they, you know, how they manifest. Maybe that's another way to say. It. Okay, let's uh, start with the relationally acquired aspect, and it goes back to what I mentioned that um, the it goes back to our the relationality of God that we talked about. God gives us everything we need, and then it relates with us to help us make every effort to actualize. His gifts. These virtues are characteristics of God Himself. Right? These are God's attributes, and I think they're perfectly exemplified in the person and life of Jesus. Like Jesus possessed all these qualities in exceeding measure, thereby making the accounts of His life just so full of wisdom and inspiration and beauty and power. So, like I said, these virtues are not just you know we, we find these, we we procure them. We pick these up by our own faculty. Right? They're more relationally transmitted through observation, imitation, correction. Right? Just as an apprentice learns from a master craftsman by watching closely and asking questions and letting the master evaluate the work, start over, etc. Since we are such novices in moral excellence, we need to learn it right, from God himself. So we watch our Father, we watch our Lord Jesus, uh, we learn to see how it's done. That's what the disciples did, right? 
That's how they learn the kingdom values that Jesus came to teach them. Uh, Jesus himself informs us in John 5 that he can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So the uh, ethic of imitation. Jesus himself, the Son, learned from the Father. That's good enough for us. That in our intimate relationship with God, we see these qualities and we we learn them. Whether you know, kind of a maybe through osmosis, through contact, through connection, through devotion, through worship, through prayer, through time spent together. That emphasis. I really liked how Tony led us in this kind of yearning. That's what. You know, worship should be. We look forward to it. We long. We that's one of the highlights, hopefully, of your week or of your time. Um, I think we see this in the family. Right? A lot of traits are transmitted from the parent to the child. Right? The kids, they're so observant. Right? They see everything. You can't get away with anything if you're a parent. You know that. Right? And unfortunately, I've seen maybe more prominent examples of negative transmission where the kids will see something like not not so <laughs> admirable in their parent and they start copying them right and that's kind of scary and, and and you know there's probably i think there's social studies on, on a lot of these things like domestic violence like if you grow up seeing domestic violence you're more prone to engage in it yourself right? that, that's really tragic that's really uh, terrible but I think there's some good positive example. Hopefully you have anecdotal aspects, right? That you should, that you learned, you saw from your parents or from your older siblings, and that uh, you can, you you are actually uh, that's present in your life as well. Mona and I were chatting about um, her father's uh, diligence, right? And he, you know, woke up at five o'clock every day, and he would walk 45 minutes to an hour. And he would always eat oatmeal, right? That's why he's, you know, 90 years old now and still healthy, right? And, and just how, so how that work ethic, that kind of getting up as the kids, all four kids saw it, they all developed it. Right? They all uh, learned or gleaned that that is a good quality to, to possess. And so they're all really diligent. They all work really hard. None of them eat oatmeal, I don't think. <laughs> but all the other aspects, uh, all the benefits of that is there. But like maybe kindness, right? You see how maybe your parent treats a stranger or how, the, how hospitable they are, or how, how compassionate they are. That's a wonderful trait to learn, right? To relationally acquire. A commitment to equality, right? To see how they treat uh, people of all uh, backgrounds and ethnicities and socioeconomic situations and genders that they are... Uh, and treat them equally, fairly, equitably. Right? That kind of uh, example right, is what I think God can show us. And really, um, in the more than the context, but it, in, in the dynamics of relationship, right, our our character, our who we are, there is that kind of growth. There is that kind of change. Like. Oh, he, he's hanging out with that guy, and man, he's like, he's like becoming more like responsible, or he's becoming more trustworthy, right? What a testimony for a Christian right? that we are, through our connections, 
Sashita God, maybe even godly people, there's that kind of progress and advance. There's actually, like, to me, an interesting interplay between relationality and morality in the scriptures. Sometimes uh, God seems so like holy, completely holy, right, that there's a great distance between us and Him. Uh, it's like the Israelites who could not approach the terrifying, holy, smoking Mount Sinai, where uh, God's presence was palpable, His presence palpably dwelt. It compelled them to send Moses as their proxy because they were fearful of dying otherwise because of their own immorality. On the other hand, God uh, wants us as we are, ever closer, like Moses himself, who spent long bouts of time with God face to face. Tony mentioned today's devotion time. It's that amazing encounter where Moses requests to see the glory of God, and God obliges by hiding his beloved servant in the cleft of a rock and covering him with his hand, passing by in all of his goodness and glory, and Moses gets to see the back. Right. Oh God. Uh, further, so it's both, right? It's both somehow this kind of God is so holy that you know we dare not look in His direction, and yet He wants us like so close. He wants to carry us like a shepherd carries uh, the young. Uh, I saw a further insight on relationality and morality uh, in a book. Uh, it's the book that I referenced once before on the. Uh, our sermons on Cain, so exclusion and embrace. And there, uh, the author Wolf reflects on the prodigal son story um, as follows. Ooh, we got all this on one slide. Amazing. Uh, there's a categorical difference between how the father and how the older brother interprets the prodigal's life in the distant country. The older brother employs moral categories and constructs his brother's departure along the axis of bad good, good bad behavior. The father, though keenly aware of the moral import of his younger son's behavior, employs relational categories and constructs his son's departure along the axis of either lost and found or alive and dead. Or dead and alive. Uh, relationship is prior to moral rules. Let me see that again. Relationships prior to moral rules. Moral performance may have something to do with the relationship, to do to the, something to do with the relationship, but relationship is not grounded in moral performance. Hence, the will to embrace, right, that's, the, that's his argument, is independent of the quality of behavior. Though at the same time, repentance, confession, and consequences all have their own proper place. The profound wisdom about the priority of the relationship that explains the father's prodigality to both of his sons. Does that make sense? So the priority is the relationship between father and son. So even though the younger son blew it big time, right? Moral offense against his father. Moral offense against the family. Moral offense against God. Wasted all the, lost all the money. Came back, you know, crawling. The father does not condone or does not dismiss the immoral behavior, but it starts with embrace, it starts with forgiveness, when right? it starts with relationship, as opposed to the older son can handle it, right? He wants, the, he wants his moral pound of flesh. I'm moral, 
and I stayed around, and my father doesn't have a good relationship with me. This guy wasted all his money on prostitutes. He gets a party. He gets a fat camp. He gets the ring on his finger, the robe on, you know, all that, all that kind of complaint that, that this. I really like the way this author worked through this kind of moral and relational aspects of that famous uh, parable. All, all this to say that I don't think we can bifurcate Peter's list of virtues. Right? You can't just go, I want those virtues, I want to be like that. You can't separate that from an intimate relationship with God. Right? It, they go hand in hand. We should not and really cannot pursue a truly moral life without being closer to God. Right? Allah the, the Pharisees, right? They worked at the virtues, they worked at what they thought was righteousness, but they were very far from God. So their best efforts amounted to mere self-righteousness and prompted severe censure from uh, Jesus. Uh, nor should our uh, ever-deepening relationship with God be dis disconnected from a burgeoning moral excellence. Right? You can't just say, oh, I just love God, and He's so forgiving, and He lets me get away with things, and He holds me. But, you know, no, no. The closer we are to God, these virtues have to be evident. Right? There has to be change. Right? Time spent in the presence of God has to transform us to be more like Him. Uh, more holy. More godly. Yeah, which leads me to our second point. Um, these virtues, I noted earlier, are sanctifiedly oriented. Meaning that I think they're designed to make us holy as God is holy. Uh, the point is pretty straightforward, so um, I'm going to try to make this part brief. So if we're to draw closer to God in relationship, we must advance in these qualities more and more. So they're oriented to help us make become holier in character. So what oil investments and consecration ceremonies depicted for the Aaronic priests who had to serve in the tabernacle, without holiness, no one can approach God. So I want to say that the moral, fun moral virtues function uh, in a similar manner. They can really substantively help us get closer to the heart of God. But when God redeemed us sinners in Christ, the penalty of eternal condemnation was absolved. But our sinful nature persists, right? Uh, it remains until we enter into the heavenly life. So in the interim, we're called to fight the good fight, to shed our sinful habits and deeds, and supplant them with obedience to our new nature in Christ, sanctified daily by the Holy Spirit. And I believe these virtues can help. They can really help us become to grow in our holiness, to grow in our godliness. Now that's why Peter says in verse 4 that if we possess these virtues in increasing measure, we will escape the moral corruption and sin that is present in the world. Also in verses 9 to 10, he says plainly that if we lack these virtues, if you don't care about them, if you don't think about them, if you don't see them in your life, we are nearsighted and blind. Because we're not getting anywhere. No matter what other success, no matter what qualities you can point to, if we are not getting holier week by week, month by month, year by year, we've forgotten that we have been cleansed from our past sins. It's a language of uh, sanctification, right? Even this uh, making our calling and election sure, right? Uh, the presence of virtues is one way to constantly examine, right? Examine, we're supposed to examine whether we are called and elected by Christ. In other words, these virtues are evidence that we are in Christ and of Christ. And don't we want that? 
Don't we want our lives to reflect the beauty and the glory and the winsomeness, uh, the holiness of God? When I look at you know how challenging it is to live and to do what we do um, in our professions, in our endeavors, in our pursuits, I mean the hoops that we jump through to make progress in, in our, like our, our, our professional pursuits. And we make every effort to add to our grades, you know, our research, to add to our research, our internships, <laughs> to add to our internships, you know, connections with people in the field, to add to that, you know, more study at home, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. We'll do all that to become, to have, uh, you know, uh, that degree or to have that position or to have that, you know, next level in, in our jobs, right? Some of us are unstoppable in that regard. But morally, we're so bankrupt, right? We're like, our character sucks, right? We're unreliable. We don't, we're not there for each other. Even when, with respect to God, God is a, is a choice, an afterthought. He does see something that we do when we feel like we, we, we can kind of squeeze him in. And we'll do all those things to excel in the world, but we don't have that kind of um, excitement, that kind of yearning, as Tony mentioned again, in our in, in beauty and, and power of our character. Right? Dating relationships, I mean, these days, I think dating is like such a burden <laughs> to you know, do all that you need to do and to you know, work through all of those things, and now you've got to have social media to the, to, to the mix, and like, how, how fatiguing, but we do it because it's you know, important. People do that. Why not our morality? Why not our character? Why not our spiritual fruit? Should, should that not um, warrant? Does that not deserve our attention and our, 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 our passion, our effort? Why not sanctification? So permit me then to move on to my third contour regarding these virtues, which is to say that they are experientially connected, so I wanted to see them in sequence some more. Once more, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Okay? Just kind of let that sink in. And, uh, you know, each one, a piece, of course, could elicit several Sunday messages. I'll not delve too much individually into them, but I'm going to try to look for a few common threads. I don't know if I found them or not. Um, Actually, I don't think anyone has definitively explicated how these virtues tie together. Uh, tie together. And it's certainly not for lack of effort. Um, proposals abound on how to view them as ladder rungs, right? One, uh, one on top of each other as an upward climb, as a building that adds you know, various floors as it gets constructed higher, as an electronic circuit in series or in parallel. Uh, a rope or a cable with intertwining strands, like seven strands tying together for a rope. You know, an intriguing suggestion is that of a musical scale. Right? So there's a keynote and then seven steps comprising an octave. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just found it in the commentary and I thought I'd pass it on to you, right? Uh, especially since the word uh, is translated add, right? Add to, that's kore uh, geo, which Come from the world, apparently comes from the world of Greek plays and dramas. So there's been many, many attempts at trying try to explain why Paul picked these seven or eight virtues and, and, and how we're supposed to look at them. So 
I will throw my oar into these choppy waters by suggesting that we consider a simple metaphor of a tree or a vine. That's that's very spiritual, right? Very biblical. Um, With the main trunk representing faith, and then the branches representing the uh, various virtues. So let's jump in. Peter begins with faith. Which, as he should, it's the foundation of everything else in the Christian life. If we don't have faith, there's no relationship with God. As it says in Hebrews 11, uh, if we believe that God does not exist or does not want to have a relationship with us, it's impossible to please Him. But if we do have faith that God does exist, does love us, and does want the best for us, I think it establishes the infrastructure right, uh, upon which we can continually seek and desire for him to do his work of transformation in us. So that's the trunk rooted in the soil, the life-giving soil of the Lord. Uh, nothing can really start without faith. Godly virtues are not just um, human striving for moral excellence. Uh, without faith, all the other things, right? The goodness, the perseverance, the self-control, the love, that's just uh, kind of nice human qualities. But human achievement, devoid of a genuine dependence on God, is actually sin, right? The the, the nicest people, the best people, the the most ethical people, without God, they're still condemned, along with us before Christ. So faith opens the door to real spiritual versions of these qualities, right? So like I said, they're learned from a walk with God, they're learned from God, they're learned by watching God in action directly uh, with us. So to faith, the trunk, the first branch that needs to jut out is goodness. Right? I, think, I think that makes sense to me. Right? From faith, we have to kind of define everything. And that is the goodness of God. It's not something that uh, can be acquired prior to faith. I mean, you look at people and go, oh, he's decent. She's good, right? They're, they're really nice, or, or whatever. But that's not the goodness that I think Peter is referring to. Um, Christian goodness, the true good, the goodness of God, or, or in Jesus Christ, however you want to express it, is possible only after faith. If we don't, it's like putting the cart before the horse, as we say. We can try to be good, but, you know, as Jesus said, only God is good. You know, trying to do good works when you're still a, you know, Spiritually, of course. Yeah, the Bible does not acknowledge that. So goodness to me has this overarching function so that all the qualities that, that, are, that come thereafter, if we lack goodness, they're kind of like, you know, suspended. They, they may be a branch, but there's really no, like, nothing to kind of tie them together uh, to, the faith, to faith in God. They're not necessarily of God, right? So... Uh, Interestingly, another way to translate the word for goodness is virtue, right? So, as I'm calling these qualities virtues, you can say virtue is one of the things that, or maybe the one that binds all these other virtues together, right? A virtuous knowledge, a good brotherly kindness, you know, we, we all want that. And then the next step, or the next offshoot, um, goodness. To me, it precedes knowledge. And, you know, I think in, in our world today, knowledge really has privacy. Everybody wants knowledge. Everybody pursues knowledge, even made more so by the internet, you know, uh, knowledge of power, information, you know, all that kind of stuff. Education 
um, seems to help us. Like even now, like reading the Bible, hearing messages, we are learning, right? We're being, we're being educated, we're, we're learning to know. And sometimes I think um, we think we become better people by that. But knowledge in and of itself is arguably neutral, but it can be misused, misappropriated, right? Not the knowledge of you know, the amazing knowledge of physics that was you know, was, was, was gleaned or, or gained. How much terror and horror and death and mayhem was it caused? We split the atom and we killed you know, innocent civilians uh, with that knowledge. Right? Uh, it, it, it's kind of scary. Right, that knowledge without goodness right, is probably the most dangerous thing of all. I think that's why it, Genesis 3 is so amazing, because God forbid what? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Learn from God. Let God teach you what that is. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Don't try to gain that knowledge, because you don't know what to do with it. And sure enough, Adam and Eve ate, and they saw that they were naked, and then all hell broke loose. So knowledge by itself, independently, is not the answer. Right? It's knowledge based on goodness. It's a good knowledge uh, that we need. That's why, you know, uh, while I believe in education, college education, graduate education, or you know, all that's great. But I don't know, more and more, um, I'm wondering if our students, um, our young people, um, maybe even all ages, are we equipped to handle what we're learning? You know, access all this information, you know, uh, the know-how, the te technological advances, uh, they are amazing things, but I just don't know if we have the, the moral kind of infrastructure, if we are the people. I think it's going to kill us. I think it's going to, like, blow us away because we can't handle it. So somehow, I don't know, you know, I, I'm no educator. Um, but like somehow, if, like how high, like let's say even from an earlier age, all the way through like university education, if somehow you know I think in the past, kind of the the moral character, the the the, the groundwork that allowed us to kind of you know, handle knowledge ethically. And I wish that there could be you know, more progress or. I don't know, maybe it has to be a regret, but to go back to older times, I don't know. Uh, that, that, that there could be more thinking uh, about that. Right? Um, that's why uh, I think following knowledge is self-control. Right? They, they seem kind of unrelated, but the more knowledge you gain, the more ability to kind of properly uh, kind of apply it, properly use it or utilize it uh, is there, right? You know, when you look at, like, the kind of the, the myths that are popular today, like superhero uh, origin stories and all that, like most of it is really about. I mean, these are like people with amazing metahuman superpower, etc. And it's like, what will they do to, with it, right? And so I think the best stories are the ones where there's a struggle, right? And there's sometimes like they misuse it, but then there's redemption, right? And they learn how to properly kind of use it for humanity, 
or whatever that is. That, that's self-control, right? That, um, because the potential of excess exists, right? So unless we've acquired the ability to channel knowledge or rein it under control, knowledge can get out of hand. So that's why I'm wondering if knowledge is really kind of um, the offshoot, right? Or, or kind of as you sandwich between goodness and uh, self-control, self-mastery. Uh, we could go on and on about that. The Greeks talked about that this idea of temperance or um, controlling your own passions. Um, they talked about that uh, so much. Um, I'm going to move on to perseverance right, because uh, all of these qualities, right, the right kind of qualities, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, you have to really have this kind of commitment to hold on to those and to stick to those, right, no matter what it takes out of you. Don't take the easy way out. Don't take the shortcut. Don't take what everyone, the crowd is doing, what the world is doing, but sticking to, right? and apparently the word has a connotation of courage, right? It's persevering through, let's say, like a, a, a military um, situation, right? It's a willingness to suffer, to do what is right in the sight of God. It's, you know, Jesus' endurance on the cross, that kind of, you persevere, right? stuck to the cross, uh, the way of the cross, because that's what um, was right uh, in, the, in the sight of God. Right? Imagine a flighty or kind of a person who's easily discouraged, right? lacking perseverance. Right? What are they going to do with this tremendous knowledge? Right? What are they going to do with the goodness that, that it's just going to like sit there, it's going to stagnate, unless we're up there, unless even in a pandemic, we are doing what God calls us to do, what we are able uh, to do. And then, uh, we're, we're at the home stretch to perseverance, there is you know, godliness. Right? Uh, and again, right, like the reason that there are so many suggestions on what all these mean, but nobody really has nailed it down, is because how do we get from perseverance uh, to godliness? Right? And we could say that about knowledge, we could say that about goodness, we could say that about faith, right? Uh, it, it is hard to uh, translate, right? Um, uh, but I'll just do a quick segue, right, uh, on this, right? Because apparently the word also has you know, a vertical dimension, right? Meaning that in our relationship with God, like we've been saying, we grow in godliness. But it also has a horizontal right, dimension that it's... It, it's referring to um, how we treat each other. Right? So I feel like maybe Peter's transitioning like to the the earlier uh, qualities, the, the, the first half or first two thirds. It might be more about like us, you know, in our kind of inner struggle, our, our trying to self development, our, our, our relationship, vertical relationship with God, but. It's not to remain isolated or stuck in, in that dimension. There is a horizontal one because following godliness is what brotherly kindness and love. And so I'm just gonna, you know, kind of zoom over this by suggesting it as a, as a bridge concept, right? Um, because we need godliness. We need to see God's the manner in which He handles brotherly kindness, 
how we treat each other, right? And of course, love. Uh, how we get uh, to that. So, the relationship with God, the relationality, you know, morality is not just a personal struggle, right? It's got to have a societal dimension. And that, that always is true, right? Love God, love one another. Love your neighbor. It, it goes hand in hand. And I think maybe we can say that that's what is happening here. And these are the real visible fruit, right? How you treat others with kindness, uh, with uh, love. Right? It's, you know, a lot of commentators will say, and I too wonder why love is last. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, that seems like right there with faith, right? Love, faith, and hope, faith, faith, hope, and love, right? Seems to be uh, so uh, the, the foundation uh, of it. So, I don't know, to me, it's maybe kind of like a, Maybe it can be likened to a roof, or, or maybe in the tree analogy, it's kind of like a canopy. Right? It, it binds everything uh, together. So I'm going to finish with an attempted uh, way to kind of take the tree metaphor and mess it up, <laughs> to try to make it a little more complicated. Because I don't feel that this is really talking about like a trunk, a branch, another branch, another branch, a leaf, you know, flower, fruit, whatever, that kind of stuff. Somehow I feel like there is this kind of like a manner in which these branches kind of wrap around. Sometimes it'll come straight from the trunk. Other times it'll come from this main branch of goodness and it'll reconnect and that kind of stuff. So I asked, you know, my science expert, Pastor Johnny in Thailand, about, you know, is there any like things in nature where, you know, these branches kind of kind of connect to each other naturally and that kind of stuff. And uh, I looked on Wikipedia and found this concept called insoculation. Anybody know what that is? Some of our PhD researchers, Andrew, is like this. Well, apparently, when um, certain, like two separate trees, when the branches make physical contact with each other, right, and then the wind blows them together, they can actually uh, merge, they can actually forge a kind of a, 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 a connection where they become like one tree. So then I was hoping for uh, that. Or, or another concept is grafting, right? So you cut, you know, something and you connect it there, and you can you can do that. But to me, that I, I wish it was more like organic or more, more natural. So as Pastor John, if there was anything, because you know he's all that, into all that, and he said, eh. he said, you say something. <laughs> he said, like, try talking about neurons, Pastor Daniel, brain neurons, and I'm, I don't even understand that. So I don't understand this tree stuff. So I'm just gonna stick with that. But you can imagine a tree with branches that kind of, you know, overlap, intertwine, reconnect, and, and, and that kind of stuff. You know, this kind of like dynamic, right? Um, that's what I'm thinking about this virtuous. That's what I'm thinking why experientially, right? I, I don't think it has to be like, I can't love people until I learn perseverance or self-control. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? So these can open up, manifest in different ways, right? And yet they, I want us to try to hold these together. It's not an exhaustive list. Like there's other virtues that he doesn't include. But at least, let's start, let's have these eight down. Let, let's see progress in, all, in one of them and all of them, right? Uh, if we can, right? Uh, but this kind of uh, deeper and intertwining connection, uh, I, I like that idea of a, a tree that is growing in, in this manner. Why don't we pray? I'm going to read the virtues off once more time. 
and just let us, let the Holy Spirit kind of embed or, or drive home uh, whichever ones we'd like to pray about. Uh, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love.